0: This week on Art of the Air features two artists that will be featured at South Bend's 2024 for the Love of Art Fair with electric cellist Michael John D. Hayes and sculptor Susan Ward, whose welded assemblages are created using pieces of metal, wood, and other materials. Our spotlights on Tom Bilek's new book, Road to Nowhere, reflecting on overcoming career challenges.
1: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary, art on the air today. Stay in the know with Mary and Esther, art on the air our way. Express yourself to art and show the world your heart. Express yourself to art and show the world your
0: Welcome, you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, WVLP 103.1 FM, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. I'm Larry Breckner of New Perspectives Photography, right alongside here with Esther Golden of The Nest in Michigan City.
2: Aloha, everyone.
0: We're your hosts for Art on the Air. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Art in the Air is heard every Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Also heard on Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org, and Tuesdays at 4 p.m. on WDSO 88.3 FM. Our spotlight interviews are also heard Wednesdays on Lakeshore Public Media. Information about Art on the Air is available at our website, breck.com AOTA. That includes a complete show archive, spotlight interviews, plus our show is available on multiple podcast platforms, including NPR One. Please like us on Facebook, Art on the Air, WVLP, for information about upcoming shows and interviews. And we'd like to welcome back to Art in the Air Spotlight, who's been with us before in one other mode with the Tom Foolery Fun Club. We'll talk a little bit about that, but Tom Bilak is coming back. And he just is coming out with a new book called Road to Nowhere. And it's about his seven key takeaways from a series of career blunders that he survived. And uh, he's going to tell us a little bit about it. Tom, welcome to Art in the Air Spotlight.
1: Thanks, Hello, Larry.
3: Hi, Hi, Esther. How are you? It's
2: a good day.
0: It yeah. is. So tell us a little bit about the motivation for writing the book and maybe the background of it. and uh, You know, a little about your background, which most people know you from our show, at least, about tomfoolery. But, you know, you have a whole different career that you came to this from.
3: I do. Thanks, Larry. Thanks for bringing it up. Um, yeah, my yeah, my career has been varied. I like to think I've had a couple of different careers in my lifetime. I started in corporate America and then transitioned over into the uh, entrepreneurial world with Tom Foolery and some other uh, ventures. Um, the book uh, that I, I just uh, have completed—it's—it's—it's uh, it's a book in which I share um, my journey of a, a series of career blunders, and provide what I think are some invaluable lessons for anyone that's navigating the what what are some unpredictable terrains of uh, of their career. How it uh, how it came about, you know, like everybody else, I always joked about. Oh, one of these days, I'm going to write a book, or that's going to be in my book, and so on and so forth. Um, never really think that I would have taken a pen to paper and tried to do that, because I guess I didn't think I could do it. Um, I've, I've done some teaching uh, at Purdue Northwest. And uh, the previous semester, I served as a guest speaker for uh, one of the classes. And I was talking about careers in sales, which is where I spent a good part of my life in pharmaceutical sales. And one of the students raised his hand, and and he he asked me a question. And he said, you know, if you could go back and do anything differently in your career uh, what would you do or would you do anything differently and my uh my ego my ego self (laughs) i wanted to respond you know what no i wouldn't do anything differently everything turned out exactly the way i wanted uh, and i learned a lot and it's perfect Um, but if i said that i would have been lying to him and, and lying to myself and after after thinking about it for a minute i i looked at him i said you know if i could build a time machine and go back and correct everything that needed to be redone in my career, that time machine would be burned out by about 1990. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd, uh, hopefully the parts would be available so that I could rebuild it so that I could get back home uh, to 2023. Um, it uh, you know, There were just so many things that started to flood into my mind of, of things that I would do differently. And that's where I started to think, well, you know, maybe I do have some uh, some uh, material here uh, for a book, and it's a short read. I, I call it a flight book. It's one of those books where if you're going to take a short flight somewhere, by the time you take off and open it and start reading it, by the time you land, you'll be done.
2: Yeah, it, but that's also, it's also a very smooth, engaging read, yes. you know? Yes, it's quick, but it's very, you know, it really flows beautifully.
3: Well, thanks. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's not meant to be a, a how-to book, like, you know, there are many self-help books out there, and a lot of times I question the people that are are writing these books when they're we're telling us what to do. Do they know what to do? Uh, you know, for example, there are books out there that tell you how to build your business. Uh, well, have, have the people that are writing the books, have they built a business? Or how to build your social media following. I can help you do that. Well, then you look and they've got 150 followers on social media. Um, I'm not trying to tell anybody what to do. Uh, matter of fact, when I you know teach my class at Purdue, uh, I told the students, you know, I'm not really trying to tell you what to do because I I know it all. Uh, I might be sharing some examples of things to do because I've made all the mistakes. I've, I've I've made all the blunders. I think I could save you some time by sharing some of those blunders with you, and that's what really this book is about. It's uh, it's about sharing some examples and more importantly, the lessons that I learned. Uh, based on some of those mistakes. And I came up with seven. I could probably come up with another 50, but I thought, well, let's just stop at seven and see where it goes.
0: Share those seven with us real quickly.
3: <laughs> real quickly. Real uh, quickly, the first and most important lesson that I learned is what uh, what is desired is greater than what's available. And what I mean by that is when we when we look to do things that we really want to do, we enjoy those more. We, we put our, our heart and soul into it. And I learned that later in life. Uh, and it turns out better. But I've, I've made the mistake many times of taking what was available. Uh, you know, for example, I talk in the book about uh, I was a, a director of uh, two different chambers of commerce. Um, I took those jobs because they were available. Uh, they were horrible job fits for me. Uh, one one I was fired from, and the other I quit before I could be fired. Yeah. Uh, it's just <laughs> They didn't work out. It wasn't a fit for me, but it was available. Uh, so you know, I just encourage people to to do what you want and work toward your strengths rather than settling for uh, what what comes your way. We are almost wrapping up here. Tell
0: us a little bit about what's happening with Tom Foolery and or you have an anniversary coming up, which I think is really important.
3: Oh yes, well, thanks, Larry. We do have our 10th anniversary. Tom Foolery celebrates anniversary number 10 here in February. Uh, yeah, it's been uh, 10 years and uh, almost 200 shows and literally hundreds of dollars in profit over those 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> which we're really excited about. Uh, but we'll celebrate our 10th anniversary show at Langles, the birthplace of Tom Foolery, Langles and Highland, on March 9th. And uh, shows at 8 o'clock, and uh, tickets are still available. How can you find both the book and about Tom Foolery, real quick? Okay, well, the book uh, is available on Amazon and uh, through uh, Barnes and Noble. And then also on Kindle, the full title is I Traveled the Road to Nowhere and I Arrived Safely. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the full title of the book. Uh, Road to Nowhere for short, Uh, and it's also, uh, I think I mentioned Kindle, and tickets to Tom Foolery available at TomFooleryFunClub.com.
0: Well, that's uh, Tom Bialak. His new book is Road to Nowhere. You can find that in all the places, and of course, Tom Foolery Fun Club, 10th anniversary, March 9th at Langles, where they all started. Thank you so much for coming on Art of the Air Spotlight.
2: Yeah, and hello to uh, the beautiful Miss Michelle.
3: (laughs) Thank you, Esther, and thank you so much. Appreciate (laughs) that.
0: Art on the Air Spotlight and the complete one-hour program on Lakeshore Public Media is brought to you by Macaulay Real Estate in Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And as a reminder, if you'd like to have your event on Art on the Air Spotlight or have a longer feature interview, email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, b r c h dot com.
2: This is Whitney Reynolds of The Whitney Reynolds Show, and you are listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, and on WVLP 103.1 FM.
0: Underwriting for this Art on the Air feature interview is brought to you by the 2024 For the Love of Art Fair at South Bend Century Center, running February 17th and 18th. More information is available on the web at ForTheLoveOfArtFair.com.
2: to welcome Michael John Hayes to Art on the Air. Michael is a freelance electric cellist, composer, and recording engineer. He performs on electric cello as informal. Michael will be performing at Shireen Johnson-Klein's for the Love of Art Fair at the Century Center in South Bend, Indiana, happening February 17th and 18th of 2024. Martian Jungle Walk is what you have been listening to now. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Michael. Hi, nice to meet you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, we appreciate you coming on Art in the Air and sharing everything. And we're interested in like your, I like I always say, origin story. and like to say how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us all about Michael.
4: Well, it's it's a long story because I've been for a while. But I started out uh, uh, born in Mishawaka, Indiana, or actually Elkhart, Indiana, and whisked away to Mishawaka while I was still in diapers. <laughs> and uh, so I've been pretty much raised in Mishawaka. And uh, I uh, came from a somewhat musical uh, background. My grandparents were both very musical on my mother's side. And um, not many of my cousins are, but evidently the the gene landed on me. But uh, my grandfather was a barbershop quartet singer, and uh, he was part of the Doctors of Harmony. And those guys were the international champions in 1947. So they took it very seriously, and he always sang to us all the time and made us sing and (laughs) And be around music. My grandmother was in Sweet Adeline's. Oh, so there
2: perfect pair. <laughs> always
4: music. All right. Excellent. So, uh, so yeah, and she played organ too. So uh, they allowed me as a toddler to fiddle around with the organ, and, and I just got a real good dose of early music. And then uh, in uh, elementary school, they normally started people in musical instruments about fourth grade, but they came around, they were a little short for the orchestra. So they came around in third grade and gave us a little aptitude test where they play a little phonograph record. And you answer a bunch of questions about timing, tempo, uh, which note is higher or lower. And I passed that. So I got to join the orchestra. And uh, that was I I picked up violin. And uh, it wasn't very long uh, until I switched to cello. And the way it happened is there was this little gal. She was tiny, tinier than me. I wasn't a very big kid, but she decided she wanted to play cello but she couldn't carry it off the ground she was dragging it on the ground so every day after school i would see her dragging that thing and i would say here i'll carry that you just carry this violin and i would walk her home and then it only took about a week before i said you know what why don't you just play violin and i'll play cello that way i don't have to walk you home every day and uh so we switched (laughs) so yeah, I, I started off bad with girls because that was kind of, in hindsight, what, what was wrong with walking her home? I don't know. But anyhow, I ended up playing cello. And then after the first week of that, I realized that I would made a mistake picking violin. Anyhow, I love the cello and, and I've just been in love with it ever since. So um, I came up through the Mishawaka public schools and they had an excellent music program and I had private instruction all the way through high school, and then I uh, mused right away. I decided I would join the United States Air Force, and so I kind of put all my music on hold for just a very short time while I was getting uh, educated and trained in what I was to uh, to go do for them for four and a half years. And uh, I always had a cello, but I didn't play it very often. In junior high, I picked up a, an electric bass, and it just wasn't wasn't really cool. To be in the orchestra when I was in junior high school. So I always had a problem getting gals then, too. And uh, then a friend of mine showed me a bass guitar, and I thought that would be cool. That's the ticket, you know? So I started playing both and string bass, too, in the orchestra. So I played that bass guitar for probably, I don't know, 40 years. And the cello always kind of took a back seat to that after I got out of school. So fast forward to past all my Air Force duties, I decided to raise a family and I didn't do a whole lot of music, but there was some uh, bands during that era. And then I discovered this fellow by the name of Ed Sheeran. I, I was playing a, a band gig and uh, he was on the screen. They had the sound down, but I saw this, this one guy with a tiny guitar playing to a sold out stadium and I asked my guitar player friend I said hey where's where's the band he said he doesn't have a band it's just him I said that whole stadium's just for that one guy how's he making the music and he said he's got a looper and so I went home and looked that up and and discovered the technology that allows me to do what I'm doing now and uh, that was a whole game changer because all the time I grew up playing cello I always wished that i could create and have more than just four strings or more than just one part to play at the same time and i tried recording and doing different things but it was never never really fun until i found that uh portable recording studio called the loop station <laughs> and uh it took took two and a half years to get the uh get the uh, get used to playing with a loop station and it made my brain hurt it was it was so difficult to actually perform the music and deal with all the technology at the same time but uh, that pretty much brings me up to where I'm at now and uh, I'm just loving it being able to do my own parts and harmonize with myself do all that it's a it's a joy
0: so what was the difficulty if there was any transitioning from a traditional acoustic cello to what you're playing now
4: Well, on acoustic cello, typically we always had music um, put in front of us and I can read. Um, So that's one challenge is when you're playing an electric cello, uh, at least whenever I've performed professionally in front of an audience, I try not to use a music stand. I know they do in the orchestra, but that's some highly technical music that they're playing. And it's it's very difficult to memorize all of that, although we always did memorize it but we had the music in front of us just in case we you know, needed it. So it was this there as a crutch. But um, so I didn't use music for all the years that I was playing bass guitar in bands because nobody printed the music for all the songs that we wanted to do. So we learned how to do it by ear. So I'd say the hardest part of switching over from acoustic cello to the electric was, was actually just doing everything by ear and being able to in your head transcribe parts that you hear in a song and somehow figure out how to play them on cello. It's, it's definitely not cello part.
2: So Michael, yes. um, I'm curious about the difference in vibration of playing an acoustic cello and an electric cello. How does that feel to you? What is the difference
4: in it? Yeah, that's a very good question. And uh, there is a definite difference there. I remember that's part of the thing uh, that that made me love the cello so much. When you're playing an acoustic cello, it's it's touching your knees and your breastbone. Right. And of course it's right next to your ear. And uh, y- your hands are in connection with it through a bow or through your fingers on the strings. So when with electric cello, I chose to play it standing up. So it eliminates the vibration to my body. I put it on a stand. Um, So that makes a little bit of difference, but I try to make up for it by having an an audible monitor pointed toward me where I can get the vibrations through the sound that it's putting out. And it's not the same, but it's it's very close and it's enough to really get in touch with the instrument and you can still feel it. So um, I've just been looking recently, uh, a company named Sun Amplifiers has started recreating their old tube amplifiers from the 1960s and 70s. And, and they're as tall as me. And I was thinking it would be really nice to play a cello through one of those just so I could really feel it, you know.
0: So, Mike, we want to give a chance to describe like your musical style. But I think I want also you to cue up for the first song we want to hear is Bossa Nova Delight. So uh, tell us a little bit about that and your musical style. We'll take a quick listen to that.
4: Okay. The musical style, I, I quote my uh, influences as not a whole lot of musicians, but... Growing up, I listened to all sorts of music, and indeed, I've played in all sorts of bands, whether it's uh, jazz, blues, uh, rock, country, bluegrass, it's, it's, it's all over the place. And uh, I just love all kinds of music, so I really don't know what style of music I'm playing. There's so many genres now I see when I post my music online. They want to know where to put it, and I really don't know. It's electronic now but it's it's basically a classical instrument so i can't quite put my finger on it uh the song bossa delight that came about um i was inspired to to play this piece and i just fired up my uh, loop station and i just hit start on whatever drum pattern was in there and it was a bossa nova pattern so i built that song that i was inspired to create off of that bossa nova drum pattern so i called it bossa delight and uh but my music Sometimes it's, it's um, like no beat and almost no melody, just, just harmonious, just drifting around. Sometimes it can be based on um, maybe a simple blues pattern or something. So I really don't know what style it is, but uh, it's electronic and it's modern. And it was inspired by the work of Frank Lloyd Wright. In some cases, uh, there's a, an Italian composer by the name of Piero Umiliani. And he's known worldwide for his song "Manamana," which the Muppets covered. And uh, but his his music catalog is huge, and I, I'm a big admirer of his. That's also where the name "informal" came from. is one of his songs that he put on an album. And uh, also Vince Garaldi is one of my influences. And uh, oh, uh, they're varied, but those are the main ones. And uh, if you know Vince Guaraldi, he he drifts around a lot. There's all sorts of styles in the music. So,
0: well, let's take a listen to Bassa Delight with uh, Michael DeHaze. And that was Bossa Delight with our guest today, Mike De Hayes. Uh, informal. Uh, he's an electric cello musician, so a very interesting piece there.
2: Right, Mike. I have a question about the residency you had earlier. So, when you have a residency like that, what is it like to plot out your music? And since you are a composer, do you take artistic license and improvise on your, you know, your own music? You know, especially with a long residency like that
4: uh yeah absolutely with a long residency i like to keep things fresh um i memorize everything so it, it would be very difficult to to learn uh, a different four or three hour set for every week or even put in a you know four of them in rotation or whatever i probably have six hours worth of material total that that i've got memorized but so what i do is I not only take license with my own compositions, but I also take license with compositions by other artists. When I'm playing them live, I like to uh, just uh, maybe I'll stay on the bridge or the chorus for uh, another eight bars or 12 bars and just kind of improvise over that. And I that keeps me interested. I don't get burned out on playing because it's always a little something different.
2: And it's very alive because a lot of people go to a place more than once, like during a particular residency. So it keeps it fresh.
4: Absolutely. It's important.
0: Unfortunately, Michael, we're going to have to wrap it up here. But I want you to set up your new dream and also quickly tell us about how people can find you online and such.
4: Okay, um, I do keep a website at uh, informal.com and that's I-M-P-H-O-R-M-A-L dot com. And there you can find my tour schedule. And my music will be right there on the front page for you. You can listen to it or uh, purchase it if you choose to. And I can even mail you hard copies of CDs if you like. And uh, you can find me uh, at the For the Love of Art Festival. I'll be there both both days for that. And um, also, um, I'd like to say that this song, Usonian Dream, is it's basically based off of a two-year period of time that I spent going off on the internet and researching everything I could find out about the man Frank Lloyd Wright. And I, through that research, called Sonian Architecture. And it was organic and and just very beautiful and utilitarian and affordable for families. And that was his dream that everyone could live in harmony with nature. And I just fell in love with that. And one morning after that two-year period of study, I woke up and i had that song Yusonian Dream uh, complete in my head and i just had to learn all the parts on the cello so Yusonian Dream is is based on the work of Frank Lloyd Wright so
0: well we'd like to thank you for coming on Art in the Air you're going to be hearing Usonian Dream as we play out here I'm Michael De Hayes cello musician electric thank you so much for coming on the show
2: yeah thank you Michael thank
0: you Art of the Air listeners, do you have a suggestion for a possible guest on our show, whether it's an artist, musician, author, gallery, theater, concert, or some other artistic endeavor that you are aware of, or a topic of interest to our listeners? Email us at aota at breck.com. That's aota at breck, dot com. Art of the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. Hi, this is singer-songwriter Kenny White, and you're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Radio 89.1 FM and on WVLP 103.1 FM. Underwriting for this Art on the Air feature interview is brought to you by the 2024 For the Love of Art Fair at South Bend Century Center, running February 17th and 18th. More information is available on the web at ForTheLoveOfArtFair.com.
2: We would like to welcome Susan Ward to Art on the Air. Susan is a sculptor, assemblage artist, and printmaker. She writes that art allows her to reflect on life and lets her express her interpretation of current events. Art is her way of recording memories. Susan is one of the exhibiting artists with Shireen Johnson-Klein's for the Love of Art Fair in South Bend, Indiana at the Century Center, happening February 17th and 18th of 2024. Thank you for joining us on Art on the Air. Aloha and welcome, Susan. Thank you. Appreciate this.
0: Well, Susan, we kind of want to know about your origin story, uh, where you were born, early art influences, if you had it. And I think I even remember reading your bio that sometimes you came late to some of the art you've learned. But I'll tee it off by saying how you got from where you were to where you are now. So tell us about Susan.
5: Um, I was born and raised in Naperville, Illinois, which is a suburb west of Chicago. Uh, My mother actually was toying with art. And she took some graphic design. So I think I got the art influence from her. She was actually a singer and did performing. I am not a performing person. I do I do art because I want to be behind the scenes. But um, I remember, gosh, we couldn't keep glue or tape or paper or scissors in the house. And I wasn't using them. So I go way back. Um I actually went to the Art Institute of Chicago. I schlepped my portfolio on the train to downtown Chicago, did the interview and was accepted. I was only able to attend one semester because it's so expensive, but it's still one of my crowning glories that I did make it into the Art Institute and was able to attend there. Then kind of life took over. Um, I got married, I had three children I now have five grandchildren. Uh, unfortunately, my husband, uh, my late husband, uh, suffered with MS and did pass away in 2007. Um, my kids encouraged me to go back to school. It was one of the things that I'd always wanted to do. I I went to a uh, junior college in um, DuPage County. It was very small at the time. They had to rent trailers for people to take art classes in. It was that small. It had a tiny little campus with just a few buildings in it. That had to go by the wayside when life took over. And um, as I said, my children encouraged me to go back to college, which I did. And uh, it only took one semester the first time because I really didn't know how I was going to fit in as an elder student. And I was kind of concerned that, you know, I was going to stick out like a sore thumb I have to tell you that the kids were wonderful. I enjoyed every class I had. I still have friends from school. I joined the honors group and did uh, graduate with high honors. Um, It was a wonderful experience. My mentor was Dora Nutella, who has recently, unfortunately, passed away in a terrible car accident. Uh, Dora is one of the most gifted artists I've ever personally known uh, as far as sculpture. She's just amazing. Uh, And I was able to travel with her to Italy for the summer and a summer program through IUSB, studied um, the classics and got to see all of the beautiful things that were there. And it has inspired a lot of my printmaking. Uh, I took probably 300 photographs a day for a month. And a lot of my printmaking has been influenced by a lot what a, what I saw there.
0: So Susan, you go back and you, I see that your email is actually fiber artist, but now you're kind of moved on from that to do, well, sculptor and other things. So tell us about that transition.
5: Yeah, the fiber artist for life was because I was the president of the fiber artisans here in South Bend for about six years. Um, I had joined the group. Working with fiber was uh, very easy to do. When you have children, you don't have to worry about uh, oxyacetylene torches or welding machines or any of the other metallic things that I work with now. So I worked in fiber. And as I said, I was their president for about six years, which is where the name of the Yahoo account comes from. I have not switched it over. I will always be a fiber artist in my heart. Um, but yeah, that's, that's how that came about. I didn't show up at a summer meeting and the next thing I knew in the fall, I was their president. (laughs) So yeah, show up at meetings, people.
0: So you made the transition. So tell us about your journey into sculpture, first of all.
5: When I first went to college, when I was 17, 18 years old, I think was when I went to College of DuPage, I was interested in sculpture at that time and I took sculpture and I, and I took some jewelry making classes. And I've always been kind of a three-dimensional thinker. So when I decided to go back to college, I did not actually declare my concentration immediately. I wanted to kind of play around. Being an older artist, I thought, what the heck, I never got to really go to college like most people and have that wonderful college experience. So I decided I was just going to try out a few things to see what I wanted to do. And it always came back to sculpture. For a short time period, I almost switched and had printmaking as my major because I took printmaking with Alan Larkin, who is a very renowned local artist and is amazing. But unfortunately, it was the last class that he taught before he retired. So I said, "Okay, fine. God's telling me stick with sculpture, which I did. And then printmaking was a minor. Art history was a minor. And I was working on a photography minor. But I didn't want to take two more semesters, so I didn't finish that one.
2: So now all these different disciplines blend together to do what you do now. Can you describe the convergence of everything?
5: It's uh, almost bipolar in this because I do have the sculptural things that I do with my welding and heavy metal. But I also have worked in clay and i have done additive and subtractive i've done sculpting in alabaster and other uh, other stones i like all of it i like but but lately my focus has been primarily on working with metal and i do quite a bit with uh reclaimed barn wood where i do these assemblages on this reclaimed wood i have been collecting stuff forever (laughs) And I now have a place to show it. So uh, hundreds of gears and my family history was of uh, rural. Uh, my uncle Earl and my aunt Mary had a farm. And I remember going and spending summers there feeding the chickens, running around, you know with the animals. And I love that part of our history as a country. And in particular, in the Midwest, where it is very rural, we have a lot of farming. And so what I'm taking is things that probably would end up in a landfill otherwise. Uh, And I'm taking these objects and putting them into my art as a way of kind of preserving that part of my life. Uh, I also am looking at a lot of things because of COVID, I, I started focusing on maybe the darker side, <laughs> where what, what happens when we're gone? What happens to us and to our essence? And so I, I really started thinking about um, my own life and um, what, what will happen. So some of my work is reflective of my, I wouldn't say religion, I would say spiritualism Uh, So there are some elements of that in it. And so I bring to my art me, my life experience. Um, That's kind of where it all converges.
0: Is this the first year you've been involved with the For the Love of Art Fair in uh, South Bend? Or have you been there several years?
5: I'm very honored that Shireen asked me to be her featured artist. Uh, She's been asking me for a couple of years to do it, but I wasn't in a position because of solo shows that were coming up that I just didn't have the time to really devote to it. And so she she hit me up this year and she, she caught me at a good time. And um, so I'm able to really, really focus in on the artwork for this particular event. I go to it every year. I buy things from the other artists every year. <laughs> but <laughs> so this will be my first year actually participating.
2: You're listening to Art on the Air on Lakeshore Public Media 89.1 FM on WVLP 103.1 FM.
5: Where did you first meet Shireen? Oh, I'm trying to remember the first time I met her. It may have been through my daughter, Amanda Ward. She happens to be the curator at um, Fernwood or Alan Larkin, who is her special person. But I think I met Shireen through them. Oh, nice. Yeah, and Alan was a feature artist one year. So that may have been the year that I was introduced to her personally, I believe. What
2: method do you use for your printmaking?
5: Oh, wow. Boy, I've done it all. I've done silkscreen, I've done um, intaglio, I've done uh, lithograph. Uh, right now I have a just a small... Um, printing press that a friend of mine from the women's caucus has loaned me so i'm working mainly right now on woodcut and um linoleum block because those will be easy enough to do with that without having a whole setup for yeah soak screen right. another <laughs> process you got to have a big space for that and my garage is already taken up with my welding
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is your studio your garage for welding
5: for welding. And then I have the inside studio, which was originally our family room. And I tend to kind of ooze through in, into the house. And my daughter has to, you know, round me up and get me back in there again. Uh, so the inside space is for these wall hung pieces, these smaller things that I'm working on. Um, yeah. Who did you learn welding with? Uh, that was through Dora, and I also attended a class at Ivy Tech uh, where I learned arc welding. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, MIG and TIG was through IUSB with Dora. And we did some blacksmithing too, which is incredible. I love doing that. And I would love to do more blacksmithing. There's kind of a, an active community, believe it or not, in the area of blacksmiths, readily available you know, when I decide to dive back in again.
0: You right. know, you, you touched briefly on COVID and we have found some artists that that was a very creative period and others that shut down. Tell us how COVID in the pandemic affected you and your art.
5: Initially I did do a shutdown. Initially it was just, Oh my God. I, you know, I, but then art's a funny thing with me. I can only shut down for so long and then I don't sleep. And Call it what you will, God, the Spirit, whatever, starts waking me up at 3 o'clock in the morning. He says, oh, I've got this great idea that you need to do. Wake up. <laughs> I go, it's 3 in the morning. Really? And that kept going. And I felt like I just needed to do something. Um, and again, it was it was pursuing my own mortality, kind of looking the world at large, where we were going to be heading next, and that was my outlet. And that's when I started doing these smaller wall hung pieces because I didn't have my welding equipment set up at that time. So I was taking these things that I had collected over the years and started putting them on this barn wood. So is it, um, do you know,
2: do you have like a personal source for the barn wood? I mean, does it have a
5: history with you personally? Part of it was um, purchased, it's it's funny because it was on Facebook, and this guy said he had barn wood. He was in Ligonier, so we drove down there. And he was just destroying this barn. He was raising it and then put up a pole barn, which is disgusting because this was a gorgeous, gorgeous old barn. But I can understand it gets expensive to keep up with these things. So he was selling off the barn wood. And it's funny because one of my pieces... He had like this little outbuilding that was attached to the barn. And I was looking at the hinges and some of that. And I said, oh, gosh, that looks really great. I love that. He just ripped the whole thing off and gave me the whole door. That is one of my pieces. (laughs) (laughs) I find wood all over the place. Um, And people are starting to bring me things and give me things, which is great. Uh, I did a piece out of license plates Uh, Most of them, no, all of the ones in that license plate sculpture were license plates I'd saved up over the years. And they go back to the 70s. And it's a skull. I do a lot with skulls. And I call it, um, have your kicks on Route 66. And that (laughs) was right about the time that uh, that the singer passed away shortly after I finished the piece. But it's made out of... License plates and spark plugs and a camshaft and a wheel cover. It's a freestanding three-dimensional piece. But I now have people giving me license plates again. So there may be another one in store. We don't know what it's going to be yet. I have people that give me rusted bits of this and that, um, gears. I have one of my friends from the Women's Caucus gave me these beautiful rusted lanterns. Uh, which I will be making a piece with. Um, yeah. So it's just kind of haphazard. Um, yeah. You never know what's going to be on your doorstep. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, Susan, is there some kind of art that you are wanting to explore that you haven't like uh, something completely different? I, I hear you, you know, you've studied a little bit of photography, a little bit of this and that. So, is there something to Say, well, I've done this and maybe that won't be my main thing, but something I can explore.
5: Actually, what I'd like to do is go bigger, go bigger, go home. I want to do outdoor sculpture. I would love to have a piece featured at Fernwood. I have big plans. I would like to have one at Meyers Garden. Hey, if you're going to dream big, dream big, you know? <laughs> uh, so I do have some goals, but I would like to do some larger uh, three-dimensional welded pieces for outdoors.
0: Would you need to do that from your studio or you might have to go someplace that has a larger facility?
5: No, what I'm doing is actually, my poor husband, uh, my current husband is like having to keep up with his tetanus shots because I I also (laughs) use like, because of the rusted metal and barbed wire. I use a lot of barbed wire. Uh, Poor guy. And so he has to schlep all this stuff. And so what I've been doing is doing it modularly so that we can take them apart and put them together on site, which has been a lot smarter. A lot smarter because the stuff is really heavy. So, for the love of my husband, I'm making them smaller now in (laughs) pieces.
0: (laughs) What we do for our spouses, right?
5: Oh, yeah. And he is a wonderful, wonderful supporter of the arts. He's also an art collector. Uh, He's into painting, which I don't necessarily do, but that's okay. It's all right. Um, But, yeah, he's, he's one of my biggest fans. So what kind of work can everybody
2: expect to see at the For Love of Art Fair?
5: I will be having some of the larger pieces so that they can see what I do. Um, But I'm planning to have some small three-dimensional sculptures, miniature sculptures. And I've made five so far, hoping to get a few more done. I will be having some of my works on paper, some of my prints. Um, Yeah, no photographs, but prints. And, uh, again, some of the wall-hung pieces, but I'm making them smaller. So they're a little bit more intimate. They're going to be a lot more affordable than the big ones Uh, and easier to place in a home. You don't have to have a large space for them. So that's kind of what I'm working on right now, focusing on going smaller instead of bigger. And then once this is over, I'm probably going to go really big. (laughs) Do you already have it designed? Your uh, Fernwood Meyer garden piece? Ah, uh, no. And that's the funny thing with, with my pieces, they're very intuitive. In fact, one of them is titled Intuitive Serendipity. The pieces themselves kind of tell me what they want, to, want me to do with them, where they want to be, how they want to be assembled. So one of the classes that I had, Dora had to take um, a semester off, and there was this wonderful young teacher that came in, and she said, "Okay, I want you to draw the design of what you're going to do." And I went, oh, "No,
1: because
5: <laughs> I don't work like that." So I, I didn't know, and I tried to explain. She said, "No, that's the assignment. You got to draw it first." And I tried, and I kind of did this real loosey-goosey sort of thing, and of course my piece didn't come out looking much like it at all, but at least I fulfilled the assignment. That's true. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, before we talk about For the Love of Art Fair, uh, again, you have some other exhibits coming up in 2024. Tell us a little bit about those.
5: I do. I have a solo exhibit coming up in Fernwood in their large indoor gallery. That will be in the summer of 2024. Oh my gosh! Yeah, we're in 2024. I also am going to have a solo exhibit at Fire Arts that summer as well. So I'm going to be busy, girl. Oh, nice! Fire Arts is nice. Oh, yeah, I also keep real busy. I'm a member of the um, Northern Indiana NICA, Northern India. Oh my golly, I can't remember what it's called. NIAA, Northern Indiana Artists Association. I'm a member of that, and they have quite a few shows i was just in a show with them in plymouth and i did get a second place award or no i got the uh, jurors awards for that piece and then i'm very active with the women's caucus i'm on their exhibition committee and we have a lot of shows we have at least two shows per year so i, I always participate in those so i keep pretty busy
0: well, we'll wrap up here because we appreciate you coming on. This is Susan Ward. Uh, she was going to be What's your website so our, our people know about how to find you?
5: Um, it is SusanMWardArtist.com.
0: And she will be part of the For the Love of Art Fair in February 17 and 18 at the Century Center in South Bend. So you can see her work in person there and uh, you can contact her on her website. You can also email her at Fiber Artist for Life. That's Fiber Artist for Life at Yahoo.com.
5: Make sure you spell Fiber, F-I-B-R-E, not E-R.
0: Fiber Artist with an R-E like the British spelling. Susan Ward, thank you so much for coming on Art of the Air and sharing your art journey with our audience.
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Susan. You're welcome.
0: Next week on Out of the Air features singer-songwriter Bonnie Kolak, a fixture in the Chicago music scene since 1968, featured for a decade at the Earl of Old Town and returning there one night only on February 3rd. She appeared in Joseph Papp's Broadway musical, The Human Comedy. Our spotlight it will be on the Starlets, who will be featured February 13th at Lakeshore Community Concerts in Munster. We'd like to thank our guests this week on Art on the Air, our weekly program covering the arts and arts events throughout Northwest Indiana and beyond. Art on the Air is heard Sunday at 7 p.m. on Lakeshore Public Media, 89.1 FM, also streaming live at lakeshorepublicmedia.org, and is available on Lakeshore Public Media's website as a podcast. Art on the Air is also heard Friday at 11 a.m. and Monday at 5 p.m. on WVLP, 103.1 FM, streaming live at wvlp.org. Our spotlight interviews are heard every Wednesday on Lakeshore Public Media. Thanks to Tom Maloney, Vice President of Radio Operation for Lakeshore Public Media, and Greg Kovach, WVLP's Station Manager. Our theme music is by Billy Foster with a vocal by Renee Foster. Art on the Air is supported by an Indiana Arts Commission Arts Project Grant, South Shore Arts, and the National Endowment for the Arts. We'd like to thank our current underwriters for Lakeshore Public Media, Macaulay Real Estate and Valparaiso, Olga Patrician, Senior Broker. And for WVLP, Walt Reitinger of Paragon Investments. So we may continue to bring you Art in the Air. We rely on you, our listeners and underwriters, for ongoing financial support. If you're looking to support Art on the Air, we have information on our website at breck.com AOTA, where you can find out how to become a supporter or underwriter of our program in whatever amount you are able. And like I say every week, don't give till it hurts. Give till it feels good. You'll feel so good about supporting Art on the Air.
1: Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. Express yourself through art and show the world your heart. You're in the know with Esther and Mary. Art on the air today. Stay in the know. Show the world your heart, express yourself, you are, and show the world your heart, express yourself.